0: Today's Bible reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we have it up on the screen. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank
1: you, Raymond. Yes, uh, I had some fun with the slides today. (laughs) Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your word. As we sit at your feet this morning, Lord, please uh, speak to us and help us to consider how we might know you better and love you more as you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've already uh, read the BPC Weekly, you'll know uh, this sermon series, the very first sermon series I ever preached uh, as a minister. I'd been ordained uh, actually in the Chinese church to serve in the Chinese church. It was based on Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And I preached that series here in our congregation back in 2002, one year before I became your minister. And I worked then for a series of years as a part-time between both churches. So I was wearing multiple hats uh, uh, for a couple of years there, from 2003, four and five. I was working for both churches, but being officially the minister of Burwood. So 20 years ago, our church was going through a very difficult time, and it was unclear what the future would be. One person even said to me, David, don't worry, we'll stay with you until they close the doors. And it was said in an attempt to encourage me, we're staying till the very end. We're going to fight to the death. Uh, That was the attitude. Things were so bad in some ways that some people just couldn't see a way forward. And I said to my wife, I think my first uh, year of ministry should be aiming just to put a smile back on people's faces. It was hard. So 1 Thessalonians holds a special place in my heart because I think it really was God's providence that I should choose this letter as the place to begin my ministry in Burwood, although I didn't realise at the time because it was a year before I officially became the minister. Nevertheless, my first sermon series uh, and it was to this church. And I do love this letter of First Thessalonians. It's short, it's easy to understand, it's practical, and it's very warm-hearted. Paul wrote it in about 51 AD when he was working in the city of Corinth, and just so you know what that means, it means that this letter is actually one of the oldest documents in the New Testament. It was written only about 20 years after the death of Jesus, so about the same amount of time uh, as I've been minister here. Um, and you can see what 20 years does to a fella in ministry. Nevertheless, this letter is actually older than any of the Gospels, older than Matthew, older than Mark, Luke or John. It's earlier than the Gospels. It's a very early Christian document. So what we have here is God's word given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to encourage us And to strengthen us in our faith. And I think that's a great thing, isn't it? God's word given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to encourage us and to strengthen us in our faith. Paul says in verse 8, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has has become known everywhere. And this was in spite of severe suffering, as he says in verse 6 You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you have this wonderful mix of conviction of faith in the midst of severe suffering, and the product is joy, Christian joy. What a testimony! What a testimony. This was a model church. It was a strategic church. It was an effective church. Their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by Christian hope was exemplary. And so I want to come back here, now that my time as moderator is done, to draw strength and encouragement afresh from this young, vibrant, God-honoring model church. I guess you could say, is my 20-year anniversary series, coming back to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. In the coming couple of weeks, we'll look back, we'll look forward, but most of all, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus as we ask some very important questions of ourselves, like, how can we grow in faith, in love, and in hope, so that we can be more of a model church, even just a little bit more of a model church in our community here in in Burwood. Or again, what has God taught us over the past 20 years? In fact, there are very few people here today who were there uh, 20 years ago and have put our hands up. Who was here 20 years ago? Ha! I think there's four of us. (laughs) Right. Isn't it interesting how things change? What have we learnt and perhaps what have we forgotten about effective gospel ministry? Are there any particular things that we should ask our Heavenly Father to supply us with or remove from us or change in us? These are good questions to ask ourselves. What can we learn from God's word to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? This is Paul's greeting to the church, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Well, Paul's greeting is brief, but although it's brief, it contains several things that I find fascinating and I'd like to share with you. First of all, again, have you considered just how far the gospel had spread within 20 years of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Thessalonica is in Europe. That's a long way from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's in modern-day Greece. And yet, by the evangelistic efforts of Paul and others, the, the gospel of salvation had been sent forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and it was heading to the ends of the earth. And we are blessed recipients of that ministry. It really is an unbroken chain, really, of of one person sharing to another and another and another as that gospel came around the planet and here to Australia. And Thessalonica was no small city. It was founded by King Cassander of Macedon in 315 BC or thereabouts. He named it after his wife, Thessalonicaa, who was actually the half-sister of Alexander the Great. So we're talking about some important figures in history. The half-sister to Alexander the Great gave her name to the city of Thessalonica. Later, when Macedonia was conquered by Rome, it became the capital of the province. And so it was in Paul's day a very significant city with a population of around 200,000 people, making it the largest city in Macedonia. And yet here already, within 20 years of the resurrection of Jesus, you will find the second church in Europe after Philippi, planted by the Apostle Paul and his team. And actually, this is another thing I find fascinating about uh, the introduction that Paul writes here. It's the actual background of the three who are named at the head of the letter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, two Jews and a Gentile, the perfect cross-cultural team. Paul is Christ's Apostle called and commissioned to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's the head of the team. Silas was a member of the church in Jerusalem. He had a Jewish background, like Paul did. He would have been, I imagine, in Jerusalem when Christ was crucified and would have been able to testify to the things that took place. Silas also had Roman citizenship, as did Paul, and a name that could be Latinized into the word, the name Silvanus, which is actually what is... Uh, written here although it's written as Silas for us these are useful attributes for cross-cultural ministry and what about Timothy well he was a child of a Gentile father and a Jewish mother he was raised in the knowledge of the Lord we know that so again he was a man a younger man perfectly suited to the work of cross-cultural ministry so you've got this team of, of different people, different backgrounds, different ages, different stages in life. And yet by God's great grace, they've been united by the bonds of Christian love for the good of the church. And this really is the power of the gospel, this intergenerational ministry of different backgrounds and yet one in Christ. It makes me think really as, as we do face this upcoming divisive issue, I mean the voice to parliament It seems to me what our nation needs most of all, as Yin was praying well, is the gospel. We need people to turn back to God and then to share that with our community and our world, just as Paul, Silas and Timothy did. I saw a little slogan, I think it's good for us to remember, it sums it up. It's not about the skin, it's about the sin. It's not about race, it's about grace. In fact, race isn't even a thing in the Bible. There are many tribes and Nations and languages, it's true, but only one human race, although divided by the effects of sin. But within the church, we have this miracle of bringing back together. The old hostilities are swept away. That dividing wall is broken down between Jew and Gentile, and we are now united in our newfound identity in Christ. What we need today is not a secular voice which will divide our nation even further by race, what we need is the grace and peace of God that's on offer in our passage today. We need the forgiveness of Christ. We need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to heal the hurts of the past and to reconcile our sin-sick world. And this is another fascinating thing about Paul's introduction. Do you notice the way he places the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Really, it's the only place to be if you want to be a Christian. A Christian. The church exists in a living relationship with God, the Father, and the Son. In fact, a church if a church is not in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then it really it's not a church. <laughs> That's where the relationship is. To know God in the person of his Son is to have the Son and the Father also. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. If you have Christ, then you have the Father also. It is the essential Christian relationship to know God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. So having greeted the church in verse 1, Paul now begins to give thanks for the life of these fellow Christians in verses 2 and 3. Reading from verse 2. We always give thanks to God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father These three things, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a prayer, isn't it? So often we pray for the things we need, and that's fine. Paul is praying differently here giving thanks to God for the evidence, the signs of God's grace that he can see in the lives of these fellow Christians. I guess you could say these are the birthmarks of the Christian life. Faith, love and hope. This triad, this Trinitarian uh, mixture of, of gifts from God. Faith is that which looks up to God knowing that as we come to Christ, we have in Christ all that we need for life in abundance. Faith looks up to God. Love looks around at the needs of others and having accepted and responded to the, to the love of God, we I guess it abundantly overflows that we reach out to care for the needs of others. While hope looks forward to the day of Christ's return. And so we have here a wonderful summary of the essentials of the Christian life. It seems to me in in these verses, Paul is, is writing almost like a father who is thanking God for this newborn child, this church in Thessalonica that was born through his ministry. I mean, God used the agency of the Apostle Paul to bring this church to life. So it's a special relationship, a special bond that Paul has with these people. And and he's writing to this living, breathing community of faith. And his heart is filled with thankfulness to God. And notice that none of the three birthmarks, faith, love and hope, are mentioned in isolation. Because living faith is a working faith and true love is a labour of love. And true Christian hope is an enduring hope. It's not easily discouraged in times of trouble. So really it's not just your inner faith that matters the outward signs of your faith, indeed the work produced by faith that is the evidence that that faith is real. Again, it's not just your inner love that matters, but your labour prompted by love that inspires prayers of thankfulness to God. It's the spending of time. It's the loving those who are frail, Or perhaps hard to love. It's the loving even of our enemies. That hard labour prompted by love, reflecting the love of Christ in our own lives. Again, it's not just your inner hope that matters, but it's your lived out experience in times of trial. The hope that lasts the miles, the valleys the trials. It's when suffering comes and yet you still stand firm. These are the visible birthmarks of the Christian life. You can't see faith with the naked eye but you can see it in the works it produces. You can see it in lives transformed, in love for God's word, in in a willingness to suffer for the gospel of Christ. Put yourself out of your comfort zone because Christ came into the world to seek and to save the lost. You can't pour yourself a cup of love, but you can see love in action, binding up the brokenhearted, setting prisoners free from sinful addictions, calling the lost into the light of God's kingdom. Again, the the lived-out experience of the Christian hope is a great gift, more precious than much fine gold. So if you say you have faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, well done. And if you say you love your neighbour as yourself, excellent. And if you say you're looking forward in hope to Christ's return, even better. But now tell me, where is the visible fruit such that I can give thanks to God for his work in your life or in mine? Where is the decisions to prioritise the Lord? to suffer, ridicule, to share our faith with our friends. If the gospel is growing in your life, then the fruit of the gospel will be manifest, will be visible, just as Paul is able to give thanks to God for here. Like the time you did ask your friends to come along to church or the time you visited your neighbour in hospital. The time you handed out Easter tracts in the park or invited them over to your home as uh, even Neville was praying this morning looking for opportunities to share Christ with his neighbours. Or the time you did hand out Easter tracts in the park. Or the time you endured the pain of grief without losing sight of the risen Lord. Or the time you signed up to help in kids' church to serve the body of Christ. That sort of thing. Every time your faith gives rise to works of faith, you show that your faith is real and that God is forming in you the good fruit of the Spirit that can then be offered back to God as a kind of thanksgiving sacrifice, a a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. So let's learn this morning from the Thessalonians to be thankful for the good works that God is doing in us and through us. And let's pray, though, for the Holy Spirit to work in us what is pleasing to him, that we may not grow weary or discouraged or lose our sight of what is most important, but on the contrary, that we too might continue to grow in faith, in love and in hope to be more of a model church in our local community in the days ahead. Let us pray together for this renewal in our own lives. I want to move on now, though, to the rest of our passage in verses 4 to 10. In these verses, Paul sets forth a series of powerful signs of life that he does see in the Thessalonian church. Some examples for us, signs of faith in verses 5 to 7, signs of love in verses 8 and 9, and signs of hope in verses 9 and 10. All these signs, Paul identifies as evidence of God's electing grace in their lives, which is referenced in verse 4. So verse 4, we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. He's saying to them, you are the new Israel of God. You are loved by the Lord and chosen by him to be his treasured possession. He has chosen you. Without God's electing grace, you cannot be saved. It's that grace which awakens us, clears our deaf ears, opens our blind eyes, gets our heart pumping. We would never choose Christ unless He first graciously chose us. And that's the very thing Paul says He's done for the Thessalonians. He has chosen you. Praise God you are chosen, you are highly treasured, you are loved. The evidence of this can be seen in these powerful signs of life that Paul now attests to in verses 5 to 10, the rest of the passage, showing forth the true spiritual fruit in the life of God's people. This is God's electing grace at work. It's the fountainhead of all our blessings in Christ, And Paul's account of these blessings is incredibly attractive and heartwarming. I want to just quickly run through them. These are the vital signs of life that prove that this spiritual baby is alive and well and that God God is the father of this child and that Christ is their saviour. How do we know that these people are the elect of God and that they're growing up into their salvation? Because, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction this is no stillbirth this baby's alive and kicking In verse 6 because you became imitators of us and don't young kids love to imitate their parents In verse 7 because you became a model to all the believers I know kids love to show what they've learned, come home and say hi mum hi dad, look at what I've learnt, this is, this is what I did today in verse 8, because the Lord's message rang out from you. So they had healthy lungs. Everybody heard about it. In verse 9, because they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. You welcomed us as family. In verse 9, because you turned from to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is an essential sign of spiritual health. And of course, in verse 10, finishing the sentence, to wait For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All these evidences of the life of faith work in the the hearts and lives of these people. As soon as this spiritual baby was born, it gained its color and and took on a healthy interest in the things of the gospel. It fed hungrily on God's life-giving word, It eagerly heralded the good news to all who would hear. Powerful signs of life and activity. Strong evidence of God's electing grace in their lives. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. So it seems to me the challenge for us, even after these 20 years, is to go and do likewise. The challenge doesn't change. It's the same to imitate these fellow Christians in their life and ministry as they imitated Paul, who had in turn imitated Christ. This chain of imitating the one who saved us. How hungry have we been for God's word? Or are we satisfied with lesser fare? What have we learnt about God as our Father? His love for us, his patience with us, his glory, his majesty. Are there things that we have forgotten along the way or things we need to just remember again about effective gospel ministry? I believe there are. Indeed, what are our vital signs of life? Are we still kicking? Breathing? I think we are a faithful church indeed I believe that we love God's word I think that we are welcoming I do think that we're prepared to speak up about the issues facing us in our world today but then I don't think we're so good at evangelism I don't think we're so good at suffering for Christ and I think we need to be prepared to suffer in the days ahead There are many areas where we may do okay, but we can do better. We can learn again to keep on in the way that Christ has set before us. Paul says in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Now this is challenging. That God's word might come alive and not just be print on the page. That when I open God's word, he might be speaking to me as his child, as his son, as his daughter. Hear me. Listen to me. Learn of me. When this happens, you will receive the gospel as it really is the word of God. For the gospel came with words. Yes, it has to come with words, these humble seemingly powerless things that we see on the page or that we speak with our lips. But no, that's not just with words, is it? It's with words empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say it's the resurrection power. It's the word, the word of life speaking life to us. It's the power of God to, to bring that transformative change that we just marvel at when it happens. We can't make it happen, but God suddenly does. And we say, thank you, Lord. Suddenly you're set free from sin. The chains drop away. The freedom and the joy of salvation sweeps over you and and there are tears running down your face. Have you been at that place, at the foot of the cross, marvelling at the love of God in the person of his son? Yes, the word came with spiritual power and with deep conviction. This was no mere passing fancy. When Paul brought the gospel and shared it with the Thessalonians, they became convinced that indeed they were rebels in God's sight and that God was angry with them rightly. That trembling sense of imminent judgment was upon them. They also heard the good news that Jesus is the Saviour whose substitutionary death was their chance for a new life. And they grabbed it with both hands. As John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the message that we believe and that we continue to preach. When you're convinced that Jesus really died, for you, that it's no longer an, interse- an inter- intellectual exercise but that it's personal, that Jesus really died for you and that he rose from the dead victorious over sin, death and the devil to be your king that he has the power to cancel your sins and to clear you right with God well that's life changing I'm forgiven, me of all people I dare to call myself a child of God, a son or daughter of the king? I'm loved by my God and he loves me. Never underestimate the power of the gospel to make something beautiful of your life. Paul and his ministry team were living examples of this reality and the Thessalonians, having grasped it for themselves, are eager now to take on their new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul explains in verse 5, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Or to put it another way, they practiced what they preached. Having received a good impression, they began to make a good impression. Because that's what the word model means. If you think of a stamp being pressed down into clay, leaving a permanent imprint that you can see and copy, that's what Paul is talking about. A good stamp leaves a good impression. They were a type. In fact, a type or imprint of Christ. You know, the old typewriters, you press the key, clack, it goes up and the type goes onto the page and it imprints upon the paper. Well, that's the idea here. You became a model, a type, an example a good stamp leaves a good impression. Having received the message with joy, you became a pattern or a model for others to copy. It was imprinted on you, and your desire is to see it imprinted on others. These are powerful signs of faith in a believer's life. These are the works produced by faith that Paul mentioned back in verse 3. And again, we see too now the evidence of your labor prompted by love in verses 8 and 9. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, now the, the message is going out. Your faith in God has become known everywhere, therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves tell what kind of reception you gave us. As we come now toward the end of our passage, Paul is increasingly focusing on the impact of the gospel in the lives of the Thessalonian people as it outflows to the world around them. The love they have in their hearts for God and neighbour is inspiring. Having received the good news, they are eager to pass it on. Their spiritual lungs are filled with power to proclaim the good news. God is working in them and through them. They became mouthpieces for the living God so that the gospel rang out from them throughout the heartland of Greece, which is the whole region of Macedonia and Achaia. we get it right, the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. The impact on our community can be great. These are powerful signs of God's love in action. And I pray that God will grant us a fresh anointing of his spirit today that we might also have our lungs filled to tell our world of their need of our saviour, the Lord Jesus. May we have the courage to suffer for the truth when God calls us to. And this too is the, the last of the three of signs of God's electing grace in our passage today. Faith, love and hope waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. Paul says in verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Notice those three words, turn, serve, wait. Turn in faith, serve in love, wait in hope. That triad is worked into every part of our passage today well patient endurance is not popular I don't suppose it ever has been but you know we are by nature impatient creatures and we we hate to wait but God's timing is not always our timing and we have to trust him in that I think also waiting brings its own rewards after 20 years you do see how things transform and how faithful God is you, you get a uh, the ability to look back and also to look forward Children take time to grow up, they don't grow up in an instant and enjoying the process is part of being a parent. It's the same with churches. Churches also take time to mature. We take steps forward, we take steps back. We need to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves down and, and yet sometimes it happens that someone will come up to you unlooked for and unbidden and just say how much they've appreciated your ministry in their lives. And Gee, it warms the heart when somebody does that. There are people in ministry today, and I'm going to be having uh, lunch with a couple recent, in, in a couple of uh, weeks' time. Uh, they just shared with me recently they wouldn't have been in ministry had it not been for uh, our impact in their lives. It was unlooked for and unbidden encouragement. And I think that's what Paul is saying here about the Thessalonians. Paul has been so encouraged by their ministry that affected and impacted the lives of others who then shared back to Paul what the Thessalonians had been doing. He says, therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for other churches have shared what kind of reception you gave us. Wow, that's, that's a wonderful thing to hear back, isn't it? It wouldn't be great to have something like that said about us. Have you heard about what those guys in Burwood are doing? They're telling the kids about Jesus in the schools. They're running easy English and Bible classes to help overseas people understand the gospel. They're not afraid to speak the truth about the things that are affecting our world. We've been encouraged by the way they live their lives. Wouldn't it be great to hear that kind of feedback encourage us in our journey to stay faithful with Jesus? Or of course, what about these final verses, verses 9 and 10? This is... Most important bit of all, really, isn't it? They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Wow, what a summary. Turn in faith, serve in love, wait in hope. After 20 years in ministry, I can say that I don't believe my preaching has changed the essential message I preach, the same now as it ever was. Turn to God from idols. Go of your pride. Let go of your selfish ambition, your greed, your lust, your your need for affirmation, for the things of this world will not last. Serve in love. Serve the true and living God and serve him joyfully with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Serve your neighbour, Serve your friends, love your enemies and wait in hope for in this messy world we know one thing for certain that Jesus is coming again. Jesus risen from the dead to reign in glory forever. This is the unchanging truth of the gospel. Yes, I can see over the past 20 years there have been times as a church when we were more engaged with our community than we are now. More willing, I think, to step out of our comfort zones. More eager to serve and to pray and to give and to go. We were a more missional church. I think God's word is calling us back to those important aspects of Christian faith. So in conclusion, three things we've learnt today. Let's close here. Concerning, first of all, the unchanging truth of the gospel. Don't ever mess with God's word. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. There is no other name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. The truth of the gospel is unchanging. It's glorious and true. Hold on. Don't let go. Second, concerning the model church. What is a model church? Well, I think today we can say something like this. We can say a model church is, is a church that inspires thanks and praise to God for its work of faith, its labor of love, and its enduring Christian hope. We don't get everything right, but we know who we love, we know who we're called by, and we desire to be faithful in our generation. And remember... If a church is not in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's not a church. So we need to hold on to Christ as he holds on to us. Thirdly and finally, I think there is opportunity for repentance and reflection from what we've learnt today. It's not just a question of training and organising, although that's a part of it. I think we're facing a time we need to be ready for intergenerational change and we've got to roll up our sleeves a little Uh, Give more opportunities for the younger generation to be more involved in the life and decision-making processes of our church. But most of all, I suspect it's a question of the heart. I uh, I actually had a coffee with Dylan, the minister of the Baptist church, just down the road. Sometimes we've actually shared services together. (laughs) Dylan's a great guy. He was sharing about the younger generation in his church, saying, come on, guys, come on, guys. You've got the opportunity to serve. It's time to step up. In so many ways, his church and ours follow a very similar path. The same questions present themselves to his congregation as they do to ours. Am I willing just to put in the hours? There's a cost of time and energy and decisions about career. Am I willing to use my God given gifts to his glory? Or do I just like to keep them on the shelf and feel proud about them? Am I ready for the work of faith and the labor of love that we are called to in our passage today? And am I ready to endure the suffering that will come to those who are determined to wait patiently for Christ, not move from the hope that we have? In short, am I willing to walk the talk? That's the question. Well, we continue in this in our coming weeks. But today, let's pray that God would work in our lives that ministry of grace, that we would continue to grow in maturity and love, that he would teach us of his ways, he would give us the joy of our salvation, that he would equip us to persevere through life's suffering and trials. As The writer of Hebrews says, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory for forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, you are our Father and we know that you love us. We are so thankful. Lord, we are thankful for the gifts that you give us. We are thankful for this very church and for each member in it for all who will come and join with us and walk with us. We're thankful for the gifts that you give us and the opportunities to serve and to be, as it were, a light on a hill in our community. Help us, Lord, to be more missional, perhaps a bit more organised, and more willing to suffer, to put in the hours, to walk together with the lonely and the broken-hearted, Forgive us, Lord, for when we are lazy or reluctant or fearful. Please refresh us, cause us to grow in maturity, teach us your ways, give us the joy of our salvation and equip us to persevere through life's sufferings and trials until we see Jesus face to face in the new creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.